Well, good morning, and welcome. Uh, we call this our, our family gathering. If you're new uh, with us this morning, because we uh, believe that we're the family of God, and we get to gather because of Jesus making us uh, part of God's family and adopting us in. And um, I'm particularly thankful for us being a family this morning. Um, many of you have uh, just reached out to me uh, personally, either through texting or messaging or hugs or encouragement. Um, if you didn't know, my, my mom passed away last week. And uh, so my, me and my personal family have been dealing uh, with the grief of that and the loss. And, uh, and you all have been an, an incredible help uh, and encouragement to me. So I just wanted to first come up and thank you guys for that, uh, that you've been a, a great help to me. And, and I'm so thankful for each one of you. And Thankful that God has placed me in, in a family that's so caring and generous with your time and with your affection. Um, it's been good. And, um, and my, my other family members, particularly my dad and my sister, have, have felt that as well. And they've uh, expressed that to me just in, in terms of you reaching out to me or to us. Uh, they've experienced that too. So thank you on their behalf as well. Um, originally, Matthew and I were planning to team teach this morning. Last time you saw Matthew up here, we did uh, team teaching actually on our family identity as a church. And um, one of the ways that, you know, everybody says, how can I help? What can I do? Right? Uh, and nobody has any idea what that is. And, and most of the time, the person who's grieving has no idea what that is. Um, but one of the things that Matthew said, and I was grateful for, is, how about I take this? you know, off your plate so that you can concentrate on other things. And I was really thankful for that. It also happens to be that Matthew is somebody that uh, we as a church have been developing into leadership. We're, we're hopeful and uh, expectant that he and Lindsay will be leading a Cultivate community sometime soon and, and even more than that down the road. And, and um, we're praying for that end. So, um, so he's going to take this morning, and I, I'm uh, fully expectant that God is going to move through his spirit and speak to us powerfully as we uh, think and, and learn about patience. So I'm going to pray for Matthew, and then I'll let him go. Father, thank you for my brother. Thank you for our family together uh, as a church. Thank you that uh, you call us uh, to bear one another's burdens. And um, God, I'm just so thankful to be part of a family that does that well. Thank you so much. Thank you for brothers and sisters that... Uh, Come alongside one another and, and uh, express love in all the ways that you uh, call them to. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint Matthew this morning, that you would come and dwell on him and speak through him and use him to lead us more into your presence. Help us to understand how you uh, were patient for us, that you have been patient. Even now, Jesus, you're waiting for your bride to come home. And uh, you're waiting for the day when you come and, and make us your own. Um, and so, God, I pray that we would get us just an enormous picture this morning of who you are. Yes. And that that would lead us to be more and more patient with one another and with you and with those that don't yet know you. Yes. Come, Holy Spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let me start by just saying that it is a, a huge honor that you guys let people do this. And I, I feel honored by that. Thank you so much for um, giving me this opportunity to come and talk to you. Hopefully I live up to, to this challenge. Um, so today, we are talking 
about patience. <laughs> so get ready for a, a long, long sermon. I think, I think we'll finish by the Super Bowl. I'm not sure. Um, but seriously, we're talking about patience, and I, I think this is one of our culture's least favorite fruits of the Spirit. Right? Like, we just, we're terrible. At, we're terrible at this as a culture. And um, it's just evident everywhere. But luckily, we don't take our cues from our culture, do we? We take them from Jesus. We've been exploring how Jesus' life can inform ours and how we can learn to, uh, learn to look more like him. So we actually look at him and then expect to look like him. But Jesus is perfect and we're not. So how are we going to do this? Amazingly, we get to do this through the same spirit that empowered Jesus. To use the analogy that we've been using, our hot hot air balloons are filled with the same stuff that allowed Jesus to leave the safety of the ground and do do things that human beings can't do by themselves. That is awesome. I'm excited. How about you guys? Right? (laughs) Thanks, love. It's my wife. She's awesome. All right. This is great. Let's jump in. Let's start off with um, what is patience? And this is one of those, everybody jump in. Tell me what, what patience is. Good. The strength or the ability to wait for the right time. I like that a lot. Good. Waiting on God and his leading in something. That's also great. Anybody else? Not killing somebody in the meantime. Yes, that is, that is one of the definitions of patience for sure. <laughs> yes, it's both. Uh, not getting frustrated while you wait. It's good. Take one or two more. Struggling with yourself. Hmm. Struggling through the flesh. She said uh, allowing other people to make mistakes and being able to forgive them accordingly. So some of my thoughts on patience, and all of those answers were excellent, so it's not like I'm saying they're not. It's just Patience is the amount of suffering you can bear before experiencing negativity. It isn't just waiting. It isn't just like a passive thing. It's also an active thing. And we know this because it's similar to endurance, isn't it? Patience is a lot like endurance. You know that thing that marathoners run, uh, use to run? We use that to finish our race well, too. And um, in the Catholic Church, they have like a list of virtues and vices. Patience is one of the virtues. And its, it's opposing vice is wrath. And we know this is true, right, because of things like road rage. What's the solution? Patience. There's no other solution. Patience. You're in traffic? Patience. Not rage. I think my favorite definition is actually some, exp- uh, some scientists used this definition for patience in an experiment that they were, that they were running with monkeys. And um, the results aren't that important, but the definition was awesome. It was the ability to put off the short term in favor of the long term. And I think that's, that's really true. But we're getting worse at this as a culture, aren't we? Scientists have studied like how we view patients in light of the internet. 
So you remember when the internet like first came out? I know I do. Dial up, like you'd start that thing running. You're like, well, I guess I have five minutes to kill. You'd go use the bathroom. You'd get a snack. You'd come back. You'd wait a little bit longer, and you were cool with it. It's like whatever. You know, I, I get to experience the world through this strange box. <clears throat> I can be patient for that. But that was just logging in. Clicking another page, like, that took forever as well. But now, if the load doesn't, if the load doesn't happen instantly, we need a new phone because this is broken. Like, this is not working right. It should be instant. Patience, patience does not come naturally for us. A friend of mine once told me that she, she used to pray for patience. How many of you have made this mistake? I'm just kidding. It's not a mistake. But she found, she found herself um, in traffic. She thought she picked the short line at the grocery store, and somehow always it would end up being twice as long as the longest line. She found herself next to annoying people all day. So she said to me, I don't pray for that anymore. I pray for wisdom now. <laughs> and that's funny, but it's, it's not practical. Because pa- being patient is being wise. And we need this to live the abundant life well. Sometimes, though, I feel like God is trying to teach me patience over and over again. And some examples of that is uh, I waited five and a half years to marry my wife. That's patience. Um, trying to get, I, we were trying to get pregnant for over a year before we had Vera. Waiting a year and a half to move to Philly. We, we had decided we were going to help some friends plant a church. And then a year and a half later, after they're already there trying to do it, we finally joined them. And then uh, a few months later, they actually decided to call it quits. I worked as a youth pastor for six years. And I love those teenagers, but they definitely required patience. <laughs> Just like this next group of people. Growing up with my siblings. Like, like my siblings. That required lots of patience. And, uh, you know, numerous... I love you guys. Uh, numerous long waits for good jobs. <laughs> Thanks, guys. But numerous long waits, waits for good jobs. Like, I, I've had some pretty bad jobs, and I was looking to make some money to you know, actually, like, support my family. I know it's a strange concept, but I was trying to do. And... Um, you know, I've had to wait for those multiple times. I had one for about a year, lost it, and had to wait a good long while before I got another one. I'm happy to say I have one now, which is good. Right? Thank you. It's in a call center, though. So, patience is basically the job description. <laughs> so, I've been learning a lot about that throughout my life, and I'm, I'm glad it's, it's really important. But let's, let's turn now to Jesus and a story about Jesus and what he does. Uh, we're going to find this in Luke 8, um, Luke 8, verses 40 to 56. It's also page 723 in the Bibles in front of you. So if you didn't bring one and you want to look up a piece of paper, pull that out. I'll give you a second while I grab a drink. <coughs> so Luke 8... 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named, a man named Jairus, a, sing, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, about, about, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, 
crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him. And now she had been healed instantly. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let, her, let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. See, I like this passage. Uh, I like this passage when we're talking about patience in particular because it seems like everyone in the story is being patient when you look at it at first glance. But the truth is, Jesus is the only one that's being patient. And we know this. Jairus seems to be patient when Jesus stops to talk to the bleeding woman. He would have every reason to, like, freak out and be like, look, you know, I know she's got this thing, but she's, like, living through that. I got this dying kid at home. Like, can we go handle that? And then you can come back and talk to her. But this man is desperate. He's throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. And this is why Jesus needs to encourage him. Like, it's going to be okay. Have faith in, in spite of hearing the worst thing a parent can hear. And the woman probably had patience like 11 years ago, but it's 12 years now of dealing with this this issue, and her patience has been overcome. She too is desperate. Elsewhere, it says she spent all she had on doctors. So not only is she poor and uncomfortable, but there's also this other layer. She would have been put out of her community ineligible to worship, considered unclean. And what's worse than that is if she touched somebody else, she would have made them unclean as well, and they would have been ineligible for worship for a little while before they went through the cleansing process. So imagine living a life where everyone around you, at the very best, is hesitating to touch you. Like, do I want to make this count? Am I willing to go a week or two without worshiping before I give you a hug? And most likely, most people just avoided her altogether, avoided touching her altogether. So she's desperate for another human being's touch. She's desperate for God's touch. So much so that she's actually willing to risk making this holy healer that she's heard so much about, Jesus, unclean. And uh, luckily for for her, that, that that doesn't happen. He doesn't get unclean and, like, lose his power or anything. What happens is the opposite. She's made clean. She's made whole, both physically and emotionally. 
just by touching his garment. But Jesus is actually patient in this story. He's the one that is actually patient. But who is he patient with? Who is he patient with? Jump in. The woman? Absolutely. He's patient with the woman. He's his own disciples. Thank God he's patient with his own disciples, right? Because that's us. Um, but yeah, he's patient with them because they're trying to rush him along even though he's clearly doing important stuff. They're even like, I, I, I sense a little bit of sass when Peter's talking. Like, Jesus, they're all around you. Everyone's touching you. Like, a little bit of sass in that, in my opinion. It's hard to read that sometimes, though, but I think it's there. Who else is he patient with? Jairus, yeah. And he waits on his father, that's good. And some people at the end of the story as well. I can't hear you. Say that again. He's patient with the woman, yeah, we said that. He's also patient with the mourners and the mockers at the end of the story. And if you look at this list of people, we can relate to somebody in that story, if we're honest with ourselves. We could relate to his followers, where we just kind of like miss the point. We love him, but we miss the point. We could relate to Jairus, where he is hurting, he's worried, he's anxious. We could relate to the woman who's poor and outcast and also hurting. We could have real reason to be mourning. And Jesus is patient with us. And finally, as mockers, like we all find ourselves in this category at some point in our lives where we're mocking Jesus, whether it's by how we live or what we actually say. We do this. And for some reason, he's patient with all of us. And that is so good, right? It's good news. So Jesus is this great example, but that's only half of what we're learning this morning, isn't it? Through this series, we don't just say, okay, great, look, Jesus is great, and then move on. We want to learn how to tap into this ourselves. We want to know how to be patient ourselves. And I think Jesus is patient because of his power and perspective. Think about this. Consider how Jesus might look at the people in this story. Jairus is... um, is falling at his feet, asking for his daughter to be healed. Elsewhere in the Gospels, you see a centurion walk up and say to Jesus, I, I understand what authority is. When I say do something, my, my soldiers do it. And I know that you're a man of authority. So just tell my daughter to be healed, and she will. And Jesus is blown away. He has not seen faith like this amongst the Jews. But he sees it amongst the pagan for from his perspective, and he's blown away by that, and he says, go, your kid's going to be healed. But Jairus is this, this leader of a synagogue. He's a holy man. He's, he's teaching people, and he, he doesn't have faith like that. And Jesus is teaching him by putting him through this, like, extra weight, be patient, 
I know I'm talking to this woman and you want me to heal your kid, but be patient. I'm going to show you how good I actually am. And he learns an amazing lesson through that. So Jairus needs to be taught. This poor outcast woman deserves his attention precisely because she needs attention. She's a human being who has real physical needs that needs attention from God. And then finally, Jesus is telling people, he tells everyone that this little girl is just sleeping. And I don't think he's lying to people or doesn't understand death. I think he knows that she is dead. He just views death differently. To him, death is something he has already beaten. It is temporary instead of final. And I think that if we adopt these same sort of perspectives, we will be patient. I find that when I, under, when I attempt to understand other people, that is when I am most patient, right? So if we adopt this, this mindset, we can treat the immature with patience cause, because they need to be taught. And I can be their patient teacher. We can patiently spend our time with those who are in need because they are worthy of love just for being born. We can view our hardships as momentary battles in which we already know the outcome, that Jesus will win. But I also think Jesus' power helps him be patient. In context of the, the context of the story, all throughout Luke 8, we see Jesus doing amazing thing after amazing thing. Uh, he, he meets a man, actually, sorry, he's on a boat, and the waves are crashing around him. The boat is actually starting to fill with water, and his disciples are understandably freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. And Jesus is taking a nap. He's a boss, what can I say? <clears throat> But he's taking a nap, and they wake him up, and they're like, look, do you not care that we're all going to die? And he says, no, I do. And he calms the storm. Immediately after that, he gets out of the boat and talks to a man who's being oppressed by demons. And you might think a few demons when I say demons, but he says the word legion, which is actually a military term for the time, which represents like 5,000 soldiers. So he's talking about a lot of demons, like way more than you think. And like that, he frees this man. Then he hops back in the boat, comes across the water, meets this crowd of people, heals a woman, and then if that isn't enough, raises a girl from the dead. What is Luke trying to communicate by, about Jesus by lining these stories up like this? He's trying to communicate that Jesus is in control. He's holding all of the power. And he's actively walking around defeating our enemies. Any enemies like sin and impurity, injustice, oppression, illness, loneliness, and even our biggest one, death. Luke is showing that Jesus will not stop until we are free from everything that would harm us. And he does this through the Holy Spirit. Now, church, where is the Holy Spirit? I can't hear you. In us. Absolutely. Correct. This means if we were all lamps, 
we are plugged into the same source that Jesus is. Right? In fact, Luke, Luke tries to make this really cl- clear in the book, book of Acts. So Luke is like book one and his follow-up to his bestseller is Acts. And he's, he's trying to tie the same threads together through both of them. And one of the things he's trying to tie is that, um, is that normal people can do this sort of stuff. So both Paul and Peter um, heal people without direct contact. So one is like a fringes of a cloak. The other one actually, his shadow passes over somebody. Like, whose shadow is that powerful? Apparently one of those was. Um, they free people from demonic oppression, and they even raise people from the dead. Luke is trying to communicate that the Holy Spirit is continuing to work through normal people. And if you don't think Paul and Peter are normal, let's just take a step back. If you remember where they started, Peter, like, puts his foot in his mouth almost every time he talks. He did that today in the story, right? And Paul, is when we first see him, he's actively trying to murder Christians. I know you guys. You're better off than those two. So God can work through you as well, right? I don't see any of you trying to murder each other. So we can do this too. Every follower of Christ has that same spirit that both that Jesus and Paul and Peter had. That means we also have the same, same power that allows them to be patient with people. And the Holy Spirit's amazing. It gives us fruits of the Spirit, like patience, and the other ones we're going to be talking about and have talked about. But he also empowers us with other gifts, generosity, leadership, wisdom, faith, and even healing and prophecy in tongues. And I've spent some time pressing into these, these gifts, and guess what? They're real. I've seen them, and they're, they're really cool, but... He, God's empowering every, everyday people to do it. These aren't like super Christians that are doing this stuff. These are just normal people that have taken the time and the patience to learn how to do these things. And, I, and we, we've been talking about, I mean, Jay, I, we're going to do something like that here. We're going to spend some time together, devote a night to worshiping and uh, pressing into this kind of stuff, trying to learn if God still does this today, and if so, through who. And it's going to be really exciting and really fun. But it's just like anything else. When you're learning something new, it takes time and patience to become confident at it. And you're still a human being, so you're still going to make mistakes. And we just need to take that approach to this kind of stuff. That it is, that it's time-consuming to learn how to do, but it is worth it. And it takes patience. Ultimately, it is the gospel that gives us freedom for patience. During his life, we watched Jesus show his rule and mastery over our reality. His mastery over the good, the bad, and the ugly. Nothing stands against him. Not the storm, not an army of demons, not sickness, not sin, not impurity, not injustice, and not even death. In Romans 6, 6 through 8, we see, We know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See, at the cross, we see what Jesus is doing. We see him dealing with every one of these things again, every one of our enemies again. Except he doesn't just do it for the individual, like like Jairus' daughter and this woman. He does it on everybody's behalf, on our behalf, for all of us. He defeats sin and sickness and death. And he buries him in the tomb that he was laid in, leaving him there as he resurrects all creation as he rises. But it's precisely because we are caught in, in, in this in-between time where these things have been defeated, but they're not destroyed. It's for this reason that we need patience. Right? Because we see these enemies and they still try us. But we can look forward and know that our, our Jesus is coming again And he will make things right and make sure that our patience is not in vain. God will reign completely when he comes back. And we will see holiness. We will see justice. We will see purity. We will see love. And we will see eternal life and even our loved ones again. This is the reason that we can even bear our present suffering, right? This is the reason we can put off our short-term suffering in favor of the eternal now. Because our king, the one who loves us dearly, church, sees our suffering and has paid the ultimate sacrifice for it. He's seen our suffering and paid the ultimate sacrifice to free you from it. Like we're going to finish a little early, but let's close with this. Galatians 6, 8 through 9. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's use our patience this patience that God empowers us for to continue doing the good work so that we can finish this race well and hear the good, you did a good job, Jesus. The well done, faithful servant. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your mighty power and the things that you can accomplish and that for some reason you share that with us. That you let us play with you. That you empower us to do things like have patience or to heal. And we pray for our community now, knowing that we need healing in it. That some are suffering, some are mourning. Be close to us, God. Empower us to love one another. Empower us for patience.
In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.